There's a loop walk that I love near our house. When we first moved to the area, we used to walk it nightly, but then of course kids and jobs and life got in the way. But I ventured out early the other morning. I love a good loop. Heading out west toward what is now known as Cedar Point, after a mile or so, you reach a washed out culvert with several planks laid over the top that let you get across at high tide. There, you'll see a small round sign with the words, February 2016, this section of causeway, an underlying culvert blown out by the storm surge. If you continue looping, you'll come out onto the beach, wind around the hill, up over the boardwalk, to emerge into the parking lot. Here you will come across another small round sign. This one says, February 2059. Phragmites, an invasive plant once dominating this area, migrates inland due to saltwater flooding. As you go on out onto the road, looping back around to our house, you encounter a final sign. December 2024, Argilla Road culvert enlarged to accommodate the increased tidal flow from sea level rise. These signs are part of a collaboration with local artist Thomas Starr on a project called Remembrance of Climate Futures. Remembrance of Climate Futures. This project sets up sign markers at the location of climate events, both ones that have already happened in the past and ones anticipated to happen in the future. There's a time travel quality to the markers and the invitation for us to pause and picture ourselves in the future looking back to rest at the intersection of the past, present, and future all in one moment, where the resting is not necessarily comfortable, being asked to face what the past has washed away and the painful potential future consequences of our choices today, fills one with a sense of sadness and pain, something that we are all holding even in this moment with our friends down in Florida, right? Historian Margaret Bendroth, in her book, Remembering as a Spiritual Practice, writes, thinking back through time can be like reaching into the dark, murky water with no idea of what your hands will come across, a lovely shell or something with spines and venom. Remembering, like all matters spiritual, requires imagination, trust, and courage. When we reach back into the murky water of our individual and collective pasts, what we find can sting. We encounter the washed out causeways, the expanding tracks of invasive plants, the flooding saltwater tide. 
As we explore our connections to the past this month here, our ancestors and the lineages that have shaped us, there is an invitation to reflect on how our world has shaped us and what calls us to live forward in ways that give life and are liberative. How do we remember forward? There is a desire to approach the passage of time as linear, where we leave the past behind, but as Frank reminded us last week, you can't imagine and build a better future if you're not willing to look clearly at your past. And I wonder here if there is something useful in our time travel, in our looping back around in ever-widening circles of remembrance. How our conscious remembering and retelling of history, like a sign marker noting that something happened here, might help us to become something new in the future. I remember this conversation I had with a dear friend of mine a few years ago, and we were talking about some of the more uncomfortable parts of our own family lineages. And we talked about this desire to want to pray backwards to our ancestors, the ones that we may struggle to claim, as a way to not only name the harms that they may have done, but also as a way to mark our present moment as holding the possibility for new ways of carrying forward that acknowledge change and movement and growth. Womanist theologian Monica Coleman draws on black liberation and process theologies to underscore the connection to our ancestors as a way to imagine a new future for our world. Coleman writes that there is a cyclical nature to life. Our existence bears the record of the past. The hills and valleys revealed the glaciers that were there centuries earlier. Fossils are evidence of extinct plants and animals. The tree decomposing in the woods give life to the plants that grow there. We have the physical attributes of our parents. The process of becoming, she says, declares that everything in the world is, to varying degrees, the product of what came before. The past is incarnate in the present, whether we are conscious of it or not. When we remember the past, she goes on, we incorporate it into our process of becoming. Conscious remembering contributes to the salvation of the world. Conscious remembering of the past. And this is not easy, right, as we've noted. And I do want to pause here to note that sometimes our histories and memories of the past can be so much to hold and to bear. Remembering is tender. It can be traumatic, and it is not something to take lightly. But not remembering can also be the same thing. 
As we mark and honor Indigenous Peoples Day this weekend, it is clear the trauma and pain caused by taking away a people's ability to remember, to tell their stories, to claim their lives, their culture, and their existence. By covering up or forgetting the past, we take away another's right to remember their own. As an Italian-American, my own ancestral lineage in promoting the remembering and elevating of Christopher Columbus was complicit in this very thing. And as Susie and Nancy and Jane shared with us earlier, as we move away from a holiday weekend that centers Columbus, conquest, and colonialism, we are invited into a collective remembering of history, one that centers the indigenous experience and honors their stories, histories, cultures, and enduring presence. As many of you know, the Indigenous Land, Force, indigenous land Acknowledgement Task Force has been researching and consciously remembering our church's own past in this area. This research has uncovered uncomfortable histories that include our first minister on the Unitarian side, John Ward's name on the deed that transferred the land from the Pentucket people to the colonists, and how he changed the name of this area from Pentucket to Haverhill to signify his own birthplace in England. As our statement that we read earlier reads, we acknowledge that, the for, that our forebears prospered due to the appropriation of land from people who were indigenous to this area. Other UU churches and uh, other UU churches around the country and locally are engaging in this same work of historical examine and remembering. North Parish in North Andover did a deep study of their congregation's history a few years ago, looking at indigenous erasure, enslavement, and witch hysteria. But as we are learning with our work, there is, as we are learning with our work, this is not a purely intellectual or historical endeavor. There is something deeper here something that calls us beyond ourselves and into relationship with our history, and also the wider indigenous community around us. In this way, remembering becomes sacred and spiritual work. This work of uncovering and telling our stories is holy. It connects us. In these ways, practices of truth-telling and relationship-building can help us move from remembering to becoming. We become something together. We connect forward through time and space and become future ancestors. Becoming calls us out of our solitary and fixed place in time and space and toward the great lineage of creation that is ever unfolding and that we are a part of. Knowing that someday someone will look back at us and say, look what happened there. 
Our call here is to actively remember, to tell our stories as uncomfortable as they may be, and imagine a future that honors the past and let that future inform our choices today. Throughout this month and in the time ahead, let us reflect on what our small round sign markers might say. What happened here in 1640 when the first colonial settlements arrived? 1823 when our Universalist ancestors built this community? 2022. And what we imagine for the future, who will be in these walls and on this land in 2024, 2059? What do we want the inscriptions on their markers to say about us? These reflections cast our prayers of remembrance forward toward what we want to become. Prayers that are in conversation and relationship with the world around us and set our place in the ancestry of things. Because in the end, it's not about us, and I want to be careful here, this remembering and claiming of our histories shouldn't center us, but rather invite us through our truth-telling to step aside and let a greater remembering unfold. One that calls us into relationship with those whose stories have gone untold, into relationship with the fullness of creation, a relationship that inspires us to act on the side of liberation and the side of love. This is a practice of radical love, this remembering. Like our universalist forebears proclaimed, none of us are outside of God's love. That love connects and threads through each of us, past, present, and future, a love that no tide can wash away, that no individual trail marker can ever fully capture. That great love that through our practices and our living repairs, reconciles, and moves us toward a collective wholeness that is our birthright as human beings on this earth, as all beings on this earth. As I looped back around to my house on my walk the other morning, the marsh opened up before me. The sky curved around the horizon, and I could feel myself in the circles of time and space. I imagined for a moment what the land, known as Agawam, looked like to the Pawtucket people, who were the original stewards of the place on which I live. How they may have seen the incoming tides, the expansive marshland, the curving sky, and how they may have remembered their own history forward, if only. And I imagined myself as a marker, setting my own small place in time. We are markers, small round signs that say what happened here. The things we've done, the things our ancestors and theirs before them have done, for better or worse, 
they bring us to this moment. We carry their lineage and their legacy with us. Time is not linear, and we are always traveling its contours in our memories, our stories, and in what we intentionally do and leave forward. And we don't do this perfectly, right? Our offerings are incomplete. We leave behind things we wish we hadn't. And yet we get to come back around. We get to try again and mark anew. We get to come back around remembering that we are connected that we are, as Joy Harjo said in our reading, we are all people and all people are us. We are the universe and the universe is us. All is motion, is growing, is us. So let us commit ourselves to this love, commit ourselves to the ongoing motions of our world's becoming with imagination, trust, and courage. Taking what has been given to us and passing it on transformed, this is our holy act of love that transcends place and time, this remembrance of the future that circles around again, always moving, gathering in the cycles of times curling, the trails that loop and loop back around again, toward love, connection, and possibility for the future that is always becoming. Amen, and may it be so.